Hello, and welcome to Execute Chapter 66, a Star Wars fiction podcast where we discuss canon, legends, and beyond. Tonight, we will be wrapping up the Aftermath trilogy by Chuck Wendig by discussing Aftermath Empire's End. My name is Beth Van Dusen, and of course, with me as always are Chad Schonk and Ryan Schweck. Over to you, Chad. This is your reminder that this is a book club and not a review show, so... We expect you to have done the reading before you listen or for you to not care about spoilers. In the course of our discussion, we will also be spoiling other things up to and including the latest season of The Mandalorian, maybe even some High Republic stuff. Who knows? So that's your spoiler warning. Ryan, has anything come over the hole in it this week that would be interesting to talk about? Not very much. The biggest thing that's happened and. When this episode comes out, Claudia Gray's Into the Dark, the YA High Republic book will be being released. But just wanted to, for our listeners that may be starting to get into the High Republic, they did not do a very good job of warning people that the comic that comes out the same day is the first book, The Light of the Jedi by Charles Soule, that it majorly spoils the entire book. Like, it takes place after the end of the book. You will know who lives, who dies. What happens? So just a just a heads up on that one. And it's not even like, you know, usually the comics have some like side characters or, you know, some side quest going on. This is a direct continuation. Same characters, same places. It's crazy. I wanted to hop. I wanted to. Yeah, that's what I'm glad I asked you before, because I'm about halfway through the book and I wanted to open it up just to check out like the ships and stuff. That's what I wanted. I, I wanted to see what the ships looked like because I can't picture them. Yeah, the character, you know, it, it actually would help me to get the kind of the characters in my head. If I could see the characters, the ships, the weapons, you know, the different things. And you were like, no, 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 don't touch it. Don't touch it. <laughs> like, okay, All right. All right. All right. I'll wait. I'll use my imagination, I guess. <laughs> now they did. You can search. They put out pictures of uh, like, what are they called? The vectors. Vectors. Uh-huh. Yeah. And some of the nils, the main designs for them, they put out what they look like and some of the Jedi with their lightsabers. Um, but yeah, it, it's neat seeing them after you've read it. Some of the stuff I didn't picture quite like it is. But yeah, wait until you read the book if you're at all not wanting to be spoiled. And then really the only other big thing, uh, you know, we had on the Mandalorian episode, we talked about that giant investor meeting they had where they went in. It talks about all the movies and shows and all that. But one of the big things that was missing and people were kind of surprised was Kevin Feige's movies. You know, we've known that he's producing a Star Wars movie. They announced it. Oh, God, it was 2019, I think, when they first announced that one. But last week it was reported that Michael Waldron is going to write the script. And so Michael Waldron is he wrote the Loki show and he's also written the Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness that's coming out. Apparently Marvel is really high on both those stories and shows and already just what he's written is getting really good reception. Um, so this is the first time we've kind of heard about this happening again. Now they're all denying it still. Um, they're trying to slide in and figure out because we know there's Star Wars movies in 23, 25, and 27. 
Um, we know that Rogue Squadron is the 23 uh, movie. People assume the Watiti movie is the 25. So that just leaves 27. So we think that may be it. I had forgotten that he is, was attached to do a, to do one. I think I had him in the kind of the category with Weiss and Benioff and Taika and Ryan Johnson. They, we were There was this group of people we were all told were getting Star Wars movies. And then we never heard anything about it. So I had forgotten he was one of those. Yeah, I mean, the Johnson ones, they are still mum on. I think those are probably gone. Yeah, I would be surprised if we saw them. Um, I, I mean, I know Boyce and Benioff officially left. Right. But but yeah, I just remember, it's, it's just kind of interesting. They, they had this drop a while back of all these, for lack of a better term, A-list creators that were going to make these movies. And now no one cares. And all they care about are the TV shows. Yeah. So it's kind of interesting. So to say that, you know, I mean, Feige, that's that's interesting. Yeah. And it was interesting in that denial. He did, you know, there's been a, a rumor and speculation that he might be helping out Star Wars behind the scenes. Um, that he has helped on The Mandalorian and this kind of shared universe they're building. And that some people thought he effectively had taken over Kennedy's job. Um, but he has come out and pretty much point blank said, no, I'm not working on anything else on Star Wars right now. And yeah. so they kind of put it into those rumors. I doubt that. I doubt that. I mean, well, first of all, Star Wars is already a shared universe. I hate the people keep it like they keep trying to take Star Wars into a shared universe. And really, it was already giant shared universe. That's the point. of right. it. <laughs> like it's always been that, you know, just yeah. just like just like Marvel Comics where it's not. I don't quite understand that, but um, you had mentioned something a couple of weeks ago and maybe it was just rumors and it never amounted to anything that they were considering taking some of the sequel characters out of Galaxy's Edge. Yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, there are current rumors going around. Um, some people are saying from Disney employees that the sequel characters might be removed from Galaxy's Edge, specifically like Ray and Kylo and like your main big characters and just leaving the world and shocking no one. Guess who they want to put there in their places? Mandalorian characters <laughs> and bounty hunters, which, you know, is going to be weird. And somebody brought up, I think it was Pete said it. He was like, man, they spent a lot of money on all those first order stormtrooper uniforms. And he's right. They've got like thousands of them. I mean, I guess they could get rid of them. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see because, you know, they make these rides now. I was like, what about the Ride of the Resistance? Rise of the Resistance. That's one of the 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 linchpin rides. Well, but it's so interesting. Like, you got to think like they did with Star Tours. They make those rides so you can rewrite them. Um, you know, Not you can fast, go in. Though. Yeah, it'll Not take them a little while, I think. I mean, you say that with Star Tours, but I mean, we had the original Star Tours and then it was... 30 years before we got the new one or 25 years, right? Before we right. got something new. I mean, Rise of the Resistance. Now, I haven't been on it. I've heard people, I, I know people who have and really liked it. But it's like a full experience. It's just not something you can reprogram. It's just not something you can go in and, and you know, change a couple of skins and turn it into something else. It's a fully immersive experience that involves being alongside the heroes of those movies. <laughs> right. Well, and the whole new... I can't remember what the hotel is called, but 
a lot of that hotel too is based on these like missions you do as a bounty hunter against the first order and you know all this craziness so i don't know i don't know if they will just maybe pull back on the main characters walking around and the merchandising and things like that and try to add some different stuff as a father of a daughter's of daughters but of a daughter who has not seen the movies but has a ray t-shirt and loves ray like that kind of sucks you know, we've we've talked a lot and we won't get in. Well, actually, we will probably get into it again tonight with what we're talking about, um, about the sequel trilogy era. But still, Ray and Kylo were cool characters and the movies exist. And if you take Ray away, then we still don't have a compelling lead female Jedi in mainstream Star Wars. You know, like it's still no, they didn't fix all their diversity issues. They didn't fix all of their representation issues. And the movies, again, you can have your own opinion on them, but. By taking away Ray, character that that millions of people plus millions of young girls have embraced, not a big fan of that. Well, and you know, speaking of kids, you know, this is their Star Wars, um, yeah. just like the prequels were. I mean, if it had come out then, it would have been the prequels. And look how people have turned around on the prequels. You yeah. know, we're pumped that Hayden Christensen is back. What are we? Meh. I'm interested. I yeah. I I'm intrigued. I, pumped is not a word I would use. The whole idea of Galaxy's Edge is it takes place during the resistance. Why era. else would anybody want to go to Batu? Lord, if you read the books, they go there all the time. <laughs> That's true. But they made us go there. They were like, hey, Batu's the thing. Yep. Now, there is an idea though, you're right, with by adding Mandalorian characters, they could time warp it, I guess. And back it up in time a little bit. But right. you're right. What do they do with all the for- first order stuff? Everything's first order. I see. I can. I can see them scaling back on the merchandising and the branding and and pulling back some of the characters. But I just don't see them redoing the whole park just to remove a couple of characters that are slightly divisive. How committed are they to the immersion? Right. That they right. That they want. Because if they if they they make it Mandalorianville, but they're still first order stormtroopers, that kills the immersion. Then I don't care about that immersion so much because I think it's kind of nonsense. But that was part of their mission statement, right? Was this total immersion into a Star Wars world? Right, and the hotel makes that even bigger. I mean, yeah. you know, initially when they opened it, you know, they talked about all the missions you take and the app and all that junk you do. And I don't think people do that as much as they thought. Yeah. But with the hotel, you do. And, you know, I mean, to be honest, we all know who they want in that park now. They want Grogu everywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's going to be hard for them with, you know, what they've set up. Could that be the thing? Though? Could it be less them wanting to pull those characters and more than wanting to push the characters that are just the most popular at the moment? Less of a, like, fear of Kylo Ren and just more of... Because I think, you know, Ray and Kylo... This ended up being fairly popular, even despite, you know, even if the movies worked to some people like the characters themselves are still fairly popular. So. But maybe, yeah, maybe they're just like, yeah, but we got to get the Mando in here. Right. And we need to get Grogu. Yeah. So maybe they'll who knows what they'll do. It's weird because like I still haven't been. Have you guys been? Not yet. I haven't. We were supposed to go this summer, but that didn't happen, obviously. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I was, I kept meaning to go before I left California and just to go down to Disneyland and do it. And I just never did because I wanted to go with enough money to um, not feel that I didn't, uh, you know, buy what I wanted <laughs> when I was there. <laughs> like I, I needed to save up a small nest egg 
to go and build my lightsaber and do all that stuff. And uh, I never got to that point where I was like, I was like, no, if I know I need, I know I need a few grand just to throw down a toilet. Right. <laughs> like if I'm going to go, I need a couple thousand dollars to blow. Because that would be me just skipping Dragon Con. Plus, my, my big hold up is I'd have to go to Orlando. Yeah, I guess I'd have to go to Disney World now. Mm-hmm. Oof. Okay. Welcome to the, go- welcome back to the East Coast, sucker. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I liked I liked I liked Disneyland. You could just kind of be in LA. <laughs> so we're finishing up the aftermath trilogy with uh Empire's End. I was reading through the synopsis online today to refresh myself on the book, and uh, I fell asleep reading the synopsis. It was so long. <laughs> so Beth. Can you tell us the story of this book? Yeah, not in 10 minutes or less. I will do my best, though. So we begin with everybody's least favorite bounty hunter, Mercurial Swift. Swift. Oh, he's the worst. He has been lured into a trap by Nora, Jazz, and Sinjir because they know that he knows where Sloane is. In a very unrepublic like way they hold death threats over his mother until he gives them the information that they need and that sloan is with a man on jakku little does nora know that this is her husband who is with sloan to try and find out what was done to him to make him programmed murderer sorry i'm i'm kind of trying to condense the wikipedia entry here with some of my own stuff and it is a uh, very dense book <laughs> it's there's a lot that happens and not all oh, of it is much. super super compelling so we don't need to discuss every little conversation so yeah. please bear with me as i try to skip through things no i mean i said i don't envy you because i wasn't joking it took me a full 10 15 minutes yeah. to read just the wikipedia summation today um so i am trying to condense as much as possible so anyway now that they know where to find Sloan, they head to Jakku, where they discover that a huge number of Imperial ships are hanging out over Jakku for no particular reason. And using the best judgment available to her, Nora decides to hop in to an escape pod with no weapons or supplies or anything, abandons her son yet again to go to Jakku to kill Sloan. <laughs> and in a good save, but still not good planning, Jazz jumps into the escape pod with her just before it takes off. Temin, being kind of mad that his mom bailed on him again, still decides to send Mr. Bones after her to protect her because Mr. Bones is really useful for something. But what's important is that an interlude on Kashyyyk takes us to Lumpawaru escaping slave labor camps on Kashyyyk. Where he finds his father eventually. So, hooray, the heartwarming reuniting of Chewbacca and Lumpy. No mention of Nala or Itchy, though, so I don't know if they died in in captivity or what. Yeah, where is Nala? It was a long war. I don't know. Things happen. Maybe she's fine. I'm sure she's fine. I'm sure she's fine. They're all living happy together. Everything's okay. At least until... (laughs) At least until... At least until Han makes Chewie go back with him again. What was that conversation like? <laughs> hey, so I know you just found your family. <laughs> it's in Last Shot, isn't it? Is it? I couldn't remember because I was wondering. I was like, wait, how 
hey, so I know you just found your family and, and you just got your life back, but uh, you want to go like just hang out and do nothing again? So Tamin and Sinjir, being left alone with nothing else to do, go to Han and Leia for help because Temin thinks that Han Solo is just going to let him borrow the Millennium Falcon so he can go to Jakku <laughs> because Temin is an idiot. Stupid snap. Stupid snap. So even though the Republic, New Republic is now taking credit for liberating Kashyyyk, they do not want to send anybody to Jakku because they went and liberated Jakku without authority. And because the New Republic sucks, Mon Mothma doesn't have the power to authorize any military action without the Senate approval because they're the worst. Yeah, they're still the worst. Yeah. So anyway, on Jakku, Nora and Jazz are attacked by a hut who is not a normal hut. It is not the usual gelatinous gangster blob. It is a hut named Nima because, you know, you needed a backstory of how Nima Outpost on Jakku got its name. Now you know, you can sleep tonight. Nima is more like a snake kind of hut lady who runs a wacky cult. They kind of sound like Mad Max type cult guys. I don't know. They don't explain why it's a cult. It's just a cult. So Sloan is captured by the huts. Nora is captured by stormtroopers. Jazz is captured by the stormtroopers and then given to the huts. So everybody's all around each other, but nobody runs into each other because that would be too easy. In the next interlude, oh boy, it's more Jar Jar. Jar Jar was made to feel bad for kind of, you know, making the empire possible. Bringing down democracy. You know. So he feels bad about it and decides that the best thing that he could do for the galaxy is act like an idiot. And he teaches this poor young orphan boy to also be an idiot along with him. Hooray. I think it's a clown. I think he's, I think he's, okay. he's working as a clown. He is a clown. A homeless <laughs> clown. Which I think is the definition of a hobo, right? <laughs> it's the only socially acceptable use of the word hobo, I believe, these days. So then Leia's having dreams about her child growing up to be a whiny little brat with daddy issues and awakes to find that Mon Mothma's political opponents are denouncing her for concealing information. Which leads to a whole thing where they're being spied on and Sinjir has to go get his ex-boyfriend to come in and find that Leia's droid has been bugged. I got bored just you listening to you tell me that. I know. <laughs> That's why I'm breezing over those three <laughs> paragraphs that this sum summary spends on it on Wikipedia. Yeah. Very detailed on Wikipedia. It is. Whoever wrote the Wikipedia entry, good on you. I mean, yeah. I think I think Chug Wendig may uh, be able to sue you. <laughs> I think you wrote most of the book on there. Back on Jakku. Jazz is being sold over to Mercurial Swift because he wants revenge. And because Jazz is awesome, she has bashed off three of her cranial horns and uses them as weapons. That's how tough she is. Yeah, it's pretty hardcore. Yeah. Um, oh, and then we get to go back to Tantu Tatooine to see more Cobb Vanth. 
And that part's fine, except for it does involve the baby hut and Malakili, and it does lead into some stuff that they kept for the Mandalorian because Cobb Vanth is apparently teamed up with Tusken Raiders and defeats the, the Red Key guys and takes them down. I don't know what happens to the hut. Mr. Bones has tried to save Nora, but he gets blasted into little bits. But because he's a crappy B-1 battle droid, he can put himself back together. So just when you think you're rid of him, Mr. Bones is back. So Mr. Bones puts himself back together and frees Nora because this woman cannot plan anything. Uh, nothing, nothing, nothing. Oh, part that I would like to know more about. I feel like this needs more than an interlude is the, the dark side people. The, the worshippers of the dark side. Yup Tashu is leading them and giving them weapons and, and all kinds of things. And that I really want to know more about those people and that stuff. But I doubt we'll ever find out more. Because I think they probably lead somewhere into a Sith cult kind of territory. Yeah, the Acolytes. That, those artifacts are in the comics too. Ah. Specifically the mask. Yeah, and if they're trying to steer clear of anything involving the sequel trilogy, I doubt we'll ever find out more, but I would like to know more. So if any writers out there who write for Star Wars are listening, acolytes are interesting. So back to Sloane and Brenton. They are hanging out with Nima, the hut, headed for the observatory, which is being used for some unknown purpose by the Empire. Brenton and Sloane make an escape during fighting with the Empire. So the Empire and, and Nima's convoy of slaves get into it. And then Brenton and Sloane escape. I'm sorry, I'm still skipping through things because there's just too much happening. Nora and Mr. Bones break free. They meet back up with Jazz. Hooray. It's nothing, nothing. Politics, politics, <laughs> politics, politics, politics. Oh, Jom shows back up. Hooray. We wanted him back too. So Sinjir, his ex-boyfriend, and John Burrell and Han Solo take a teenager to go spy on senators because there's a big yes. coup underway. Oh, this might be hitting a little <laughs> too close to current events. <laughs> Let's skip past that part. <laughs> Masamita is being held prisoner in the Imperial Palace on Coruscant because he's terrible at things too. He wanted to escape. He didn't escape. He tried to surrender. He couldn't surrender. Mon Mothma wouldn't let him. So he's just trapped now. And then gets rescued by little kids. <laughs> I just got an image in my head of a beat up B-1 battle droid carrying a, 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 a confederacy of independent systems flag. Through the oh, White God. House. No. <laughs> so in my head well, sad b1 droid but holding this confederacy flag at one point mon mothman in this one talks about there's other governments starting and one of them is the confederacy it's like another separatist and a confederacy of some or other anyway things are going great in america or at least right now <laughs> things are going great in america when you listen to this hopefully at least be a little bit better god only can't get worse although i said that last year so yeah yeah I should shut up now. Yeah. Sloan and, and Brenton are making for the observatory on their own now. Rax is trying to kill them. But then, hey, here comes Nora and Jazz trying to save 
Sloan so that they can kill her themselves. But oops, there's Brenton. Skipping over more acolytes. They're really interesting. Uh, Leia's sensing the force in her son. Oh, John finds out that Jazz is trapped on Jakku and decides to save her because she clearly needs saving if she can break the horns off her damn head. She needs John Burrell to come save her. Yeah, I think she's doing okay, yeah. Yeah, I think she's fine without you because doesn't work out so great for him because he gets himself killed off screen. You don't even get to see it until the very end when she gets to watch off screen. Yeah, she watches a hollow vid that she's given. Oh, wow. By one of his his soldier friends who's there cleaning out his place. She shows him a hollow vid of him dying. That's cold, Chuck. Right. Well, he wasn't a great character. What is super interesting, though, is the giant long chapter of Lando Calrissian and Lobot retaking Cloud City and spending a whole lot of time talking about baby gifts and capes. The best part of the book. (laughs) I'm kidding. Eh. Eh. Jesus Christ, part five. I'm only on part five. Part five starts with a flashback to young Gallius Rex meeting Sheev and being given orders and no idea why any of that is in here because it leads to nothing. It's just a big, uh, big, long, drawn out explanation as to what Sheev's plans are with the Empire. But we already know what that was. And I don't know why it's in here. Finally, the New Republic gets their crap together enough to send some people to Jakku, and they start taking out the Super Star Destroyers and and having their big drawn-out battle that you see the aftermath of in Wake Up, It's the Force. Um, It's really not that, to me, for a big battle, it's not well-written enough to be as big as they make it sound. Like, from the debris and everything that's laying out around Jakku still... When Ray's there, it just doesn't seem for the, from what it's written. It, it gets that Star Destroyer down. That's the important. Yeah, part. Super Star Destroyer's got to be there for her to fly through. But uh, yeah, I remember not being super impressed with the battle. But I think because of the other thing, because of the secret of Jakku, is really what the book concentrates on more. Right? Nora and Brenton are trying to blow up Jakku. Sloane is fighting with Rax. Nora, for some reason, now decides that she wants to save Sloane. Brenton gets killed, freeing her up for Wedge, so that had to happen. He didn't try to kill anybody, so it's okay. Well, Wedge Wedge has killed a lot of people, but... Wedge has killed a lot of people, yeah. Finally, Sloane kills Rax. But Rax tells her, hey, take what's left of this fleet and go to the Unknown Regions. Take Hux with you because we need his kid. To have a point to exist. So Sloan and, and Hux end up in deep space or the unknown regions or near the unknown regions and decide that, hey, we're going to build the first order to make a new empire. But besides all of that, you finally get to see Mr. Bones die for reals. So we think. He's <laughs> dead. For reals. <laughs> so Nora and Temin decide that they're going to go off with Wedge while Wedge opens up a new flight school. On Hosnian Prime, yet another thing that yep. is now Ash. Yep. Sinjir and Jazz are BFFs for life. Han and Leia obviously have a baby. I don't, you know what? For all of this, I don't remember what the gift is that 
Lando bought them. That is bad planning on my part to not know that in advance. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It should have been in the movies, to be fair. (laughs) (laughs) If they really wanted us to know, it should have been in the movies. Yeah. So the main point of this book is that everybody's storylines get tied up except for Jar Jar. You never know what becomes of him. Well, the war officially ends, too. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, that happens. (laughs) Sign a treaty with Masameta to officially end the war. Even though he doesn't have that power, but he has enough power to say, I I gave up before. I I mean, I think that part's big, though, because he does the symbolic signing, you know. But we know that remnants of the Empire are still out there, obviously. I mean, yeah. Gideon doesn't leave. He's out there somewhere with his people. They don't all leave with Sloan to the unknown regions. Yes. He, he basically surrenders Coruscant, right? Right. Thrawn is probably out there somewhere, too. Well, Th- Thrawn's definitely. Well, I mean, he's either. I mean, he's still alive. That's for sure. Um, yeah, he's not. He's definitely not back in the universe at this point. I mean, we know that for sure. He he exists somewhere. So he is also a splinter group. But really what the book seems to be when it comes down to it is just setting you up for the sequels, right? Like yeah. trying to explain what they can about Jakku and where the First Order came from. Right. And kind of what the contingency was. Like that's what it all comes down to is what the contingency was with Rax and the plan with Operation Cinder and how it worked. Um, and Is Cinder in this though? No, kind not of. that I saw. They don't. They don't. So, they never mention it. Cinder is the contingency plan, and yeah, I think that's yeah, what. Think that, that's well, there's a couple parts to it. You know, Cinder when he dies. The messenger robots go out, and there's a messenger robot in this book. They mentioned. Yeah, I do it. remember that. Yes. And Rax is basically in charge of the contingency, and the first part of the contingency is Operation Cinder. And so, you know, that's where Alphabet Squadron and Battlefront 2 and... So we're saying that's already happened? Yes. Cinder has happened by this point, because the last part of the contingency is... This computer finishes the calculations and takes you to the unknown regions. Yeah, you burn it all down and then you hightail it out of there and then we rebuild. Ryan, we said we weren't going to talk about current events. Um, <laughs> okay, that's interesting. So I, I guess then my here's my follow up question to that. Then since you you seem to have a better hold of it than I do, then when does the when does aftermath the first book start? <sighs> It's got to start, I mean, you know, we, and we were talking about this earlier, you know, the Battle of Endor is 4 ABY. Yes. The Battle of Jakku is 5 ABY. So. It's at most, I think, nine months later. Yeah. So, I mean, the first book maybe starts six months in. I mean, and again, we're going to get nitpicky because that's what we're going to do. But like, if Operation Center has already happened. How is that not some of the biggest news in the Republic? Right. Well, and then the question we're going to run into when Alphabet Squadron, at the end of the second book, she has a messenger droid with her and is going to Sloan. Right. And Sloan in this book has never seen a messenger droid. So, yeah, I I don't know how they're going to do that. It's apparently a very, very busy nine months in the galaxy. Wait, do we know that Sloan has not seen a messenger droid? 
in this, yeah, because she's surprised by it. Oh, yeah, yeah. At the end hmm. when they're in the observatory. And kind of Cinder is blowing up Jakku is part of Operation Cinder. Um, yeah. Operation Cinder, if you were in all, like, I know, I'm trying to remember, the, I think in the comic and Shattered Empire, they show one planet. Um, obviously, Necrosis was in uh, Alphabet Squadron. Uh, what's the planet in Battlefront? Uh, Vardos. Uh, Vardos is in that. But they kind of do Operation Cinder, you know, I think we got used to, since an Alpha Squadron, it's just them basically lighting the whole place on fire. The other ones was just destroy the planet. So in Naboo, they did the weather thing. At Vardos, they shot the lasers from space on the satellites. So yeah, I mean, it. it's kind of like we talked about on The Mandalorian. Man, they're cramming a lot of stuff into this little bitty time period. At least the Mandalorians after this, so at least they're right. They're they're out of that. Uh, you know, this the current era of TV shows is well past this. Mm-hmm. I'm just having a hard time in my head, but that maybe that's just because lack of information or lack of head. But how ha- how to just kind of rectify all of this into a narrative that makes sense? Getting to not even getting to the sequels, but getting to the Mandalorian. Well, even internally, like, I mean, when I think of, like, Kashyyyk and what they did there, like, that should take months. And in this timeline, you know, it looks like it took a week. It apparently did. Moved right on. Han showed up and everybody was like, oh, Han's here. We better take off. All of this stuff, you're right. I mean, in, you know, we'll, we'll, I guess, we'll probably talk about it again when we get to High Republic, about how I, I my biggest criticism of it is I wish it was shoved back another 500 years or so. Colonizing planets and new systems and everything that takes time and it doesn't just happen. And the sequels do this too, right? Where uh, the Force Awakens is the coming out party for the First Order, and then the Last Jedi, which starts immediately after the only Star Wars movie with no time in between, it goes the First Order is taking over worlds at a rapid pace, and you're like, it doesn't just work like that, <laughs> right? It just they're they're traveling through galaxies, they're through through solar systems and and great distances and all this stuff. And there's like, oh, in the last three hours, man, they've taken like fifteen hundred planets. They like, hyperspace skipped all the way there. All the way, exactly. They showed up and and the planets immediately went. We surrender. We don't know who you are, but we surrender. Well, there's this compression of the events that isn't even realistic on like. An, in an earthbound story right there's no way this war is over in nine months no no not with yeah. the size of the empire no well and with the number of factions if there are that many different factions you can't take them all out you've still got you can't just say we won because we defeated this one faction well and they don't i mean they do keep fighting other factions but but the surrender of actual imperial city imperial center is you know relevant right i mean that's it's relevant it's it's Taking Berlin, you know. Yeah. And now, I mean, Sloan and Rax, they've got the majority of the fleet that's left. But still, yeah, they would not give up that quick. Because then again, like, where did the Republic get all their stuff from? Like, yeah. okay, you know, you blow up the Death Star with your 10 crappy X-Wings and hey. some other stuff. Like, you're <laughs> still going against super Star Destroyers and, you know, all these people that have fleeted up under surprisingly in this one competent imperial leaders <laughs> yeah it, it's just hard and you know i i get he was probably you know that same thing where the battle of jakku had to happen at five aby 
Yeah. This is the time you've got. You've got a year in between Battle of Endor and the other to make this happen. We're already past talking about the book, which is fine. That's fine. Um, My rambling, my rambling incoherence. But I think that says a lot um, about it. Um, We'll go back and talk about some details. We will. Including Dengar. Including (laughs) including the presence of Dengar. I skipped him on purpose. I just ask, why did it have to be? Why did Jakku have to be just nine months later? Why put all that pressure? Like, it just seems, again, it just seems so cramped. And with all the other things you want to tell. And I mean, the things in this, there's so many things happen in these three books. So reading through all of this again and, and seeing all of the political stuff that just totally slipped through my head and all the machinations and stuff that I didn't even remember happening, it shows a big style difference from writing action and writing battles to trying to write compelling politics. And that is where I think James Lucino excels at that kind of stuff. And maybe he would have had a different side to a story like this. Whereas Chuck Wendig and the the style that he writes in just doesn't feel cut out for the political slow stuff. Because it doesn't feel compelling to me. Like, oh, Somebody tried to kill Mon Mothma and, and somebody's bugging her. And He has two obligations, right? He's got to carry on and, and in some cases wrap up the stories of kind of the lead characters of the trilogy, Nora and the gang. But he's also got to sculpt what the what the galaxy is going to look like. You know, he's got to try to make some sense out of what we see in the sequels and in like Bloodlines, which I think was out before this final book was out. Maybe he has to handle the political side. He has to handle some of this stuff. Just he's got it. He's got to form what he thinks by the end, you know, and again, I don't the vagueness of it. I don't actually put on him very much. But he has to kind of sculpt what he thinks the first steps are towards getting there. And I'm sure, you know, it probably came from Disney. You've got to sculpt a republic that doesn't have an army because that's part of our story. Right. And that. You know, Leia has broke ties with because she doesn't agree what what we were doing. That's a hard thing to write, I think. It's still 30 years from here to the sequels. And Bloodline takes place a good bit after this because Bloodline, yes. Ben's already gone with Luke and he's off doing the Jedi thing. Bloodlines this is like 25 years from now or something. Right? Yeah, Tw- I, would say, I would say probably 20. About 20 years. Yeah. I mean, it's very like. Yeah, because Force Awakens is about what? 30 was it's early 30s right 33 or something maybe why yeah so yeah it's 30 30 years later i don't know that chuck wendig had to cram all of that stuff into this just this one set of books but you know if that's the only story you get to tell then that's the story you're gonna tell i just i don't feel like he was the best one to choose for making compelling political intrigue i like this book and i one of my biggest issues with it really came out after Rise of Skywalker came out was that it felt like they were building towards something. All of the new canon books felt like they were building towards something. And this very clearly lays out like the emperor was using this computer to the unknown regions. They were all talking about these Sith artifacts. They had established in canon that Sith could attach themselves to objects. And we saw it in this book. They purposely put it in the comics then and then that just went away yeah and you know we've talked about yeah the movies are king and all that but they were very obviously planning this and then they just dropped it 
And I don't know. I mean, as a, as a book reader, as an extended universe reader, that was very disappointing. And I think really affected what I thought about the last movie, especially going in because right before the whatever what, Rise of the Resistance was so good and was so right. satisfying as a book reader. Like, oh, my God, they really do have a plan. It looked like Disney really did have a plan. And then they went into Rise of Skywalker and dropped it all. And I think I don't think Last Jedi did much to further that plan either, though. Yeah, I'm not in there, so I don't know. I wonder at what level those decisions are made and at what level those decisions are even matter to some people, you know, Mm -hmm. like, does that does that matter to Kathy Kennedy? Probably not. I mean, they don't. How many people are going to nitpick it apart like we do? It matters to Filoni. It doesn't matter to Lawrence Kasdan. It doesn't matter to JJ. What I would say is look at like Filoni. Obviously, he's making the stuff that people love the most, like the people that it matters to are the ones that make the best content. Yes. No, and I and I think they're learning that, but yeah. They had to start from somewhere else, right? They yeah. they had to, you know, the Marvel movies I'd say got better when you started getting you know, when it wasn't forgive me, when it wasn't Kenneth Branagh. Yeah. directing directing Marvel movies and they gave it to people that were, you know, someone like James Gunn, who's a fan. And I don't, you know, and I'm normally against, you know, I, I'm, I'm of two minds when it comes to that. But I think with something like Marvel over Star Wars, you want someone that has a genuine affection for it and, and that are into it a little bit more than just kind of a, and I hate this, JJ's, JJ's not a casual Star Wars fan, but he also didn't read Resistance Reborn before he made his movie. He doesn't care what Resistance Reborn says, right? It's kind of, it's kind of hard, but, you know, Marvel eventually got, guys who can you know like the russos and stuff who can talk their comics you know to come and direct these movies well and uh, my thing is don't come out and make a big deal that it all matters if it's not gonna all matter and that's what disney did in the beginning when they restarted the universe that was a big thing it all counts it's all tied together whatever um and don't get me wrong marvel learned the same lesson i mean the netflix shows agents of shield yeah they kind of suffered from that same thing. And now they're going to course correct. It looks like with WandaVision this week, but, but I mean, overall though, you know, I really like this book and obviously everyone knows I love Nora. I think she's great in this book. Yeah. Can we talk about how Mr. Bones is the Kenny of aftermath? (laughs) And I like his final death. He, you know, is in his ATST and they obliterate it. Like there's no coming back (laughs) from this one. They find an arm. I like Mr. Bones and I like Triple uh, Zero. Uh-huh. But can we now put a moratorium on psychotic droids? <laughs> it feels like more than one writer around the same time got the same idea was, wouldn't it be funny if we just took a droid and, I don't know, made it want to murder people? Yeah. Well, it goes back to the HKs and uh, Nice to the Old Republic. Was it HK-47? Yeah. It's true. Yeah, so he'll probably come back. But I was very sad to see Bones die. I'm glad he got a proper burial. And it really showed what Snap thought of his dad. That he buried his <laughs> droid at the same place. It's like, <laughs> y'all are about equal to me. His droid was there for him. Yeah, that's true. So is it that Nora wants to go off with Snap and, and wedge to this new academy? Or is it that she has to because she's such a terrible mother that Wedge has been given custody of Snap? And Nora's just coming along so she can get visitation rights. 
I don't know. It might just be Nora wants to go hang out with Wedge some more. She probably, uh, old Brenton's gone now and there's nothing standing in her way. To abandon Snap again. Yep. Which she does. They go live on the planet together and don't talk to Snap anymore. But he's fine for the resistance. Oh, poor Snap. And then she doesn't even get to see him die. Well, I don't know if she wants to see him die. It's not, it's not, not, well, not, it's not a high on a parent's wish list. She should have been in the fight with him. She's a terrible parent. She was there somewhere. Worst there mother somewhere. in the universe. I don't know if they've established this. She's not a great mom. I'm not going to argue <laughs> that she's a great mom. <laughs> so what were some of the like little things that we liked? One of the vignettes I really liked was the, uh, uh, what was the cult called? One of the force cults that's in it. Returning all the Kyber crystals. I thought that was really cool. Oh, actually, I read up on that. That was Lucas's idea. Oh. Well, and I thought it was interesting that they had the Journal of the Wills. The Church of the Force was going to be a an element of the Star Wars Underworld show that Lucas was developing for, you know, like 20 years or whatever, right? That Star Wars uh-huh. show he wanted to do, the basically Star Wars 1313. 1313, yeah. That show that he wanted to do, apparently the Church of the Force was, um, I was messing around on Wikipedia, was an element that was going to be on that show, which is going to be these people that are basically like the Jedi Order without the Force powers. You know, people who who worship the Force like you know, one would worship a, a god, but aren't actually Jedi. And that in this era, yeah, they would be doing things like these kind of holy pilgrimages, right? To return kyber crystals and do all these things. But yeah, this was actually a Lucas idea. Huh. Everyone's surprised that it's a good one, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> which is not fair. <laughs> he also co-created Ahsoka Tano, I'd like to point out to people. So, I mean, kind of like Charude, I guess, from Rogue One. Yes, the, the 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 keepers of the wills. Yeah, I think it's all kind of related, you know, that, that type of thing. Because it does make sense. If there was Star Wars is a world where I know a lot of people don't believe in it, but it is a it is a galaxy where you can demonstrably prove the divine, right? <laughs> you can like make something fly. You can you can. There are people that literally know there's a god. It would make sense that there would be more people that would dedicate to it as a religion. Than uh-huh. just being than just the Jedi out there, you know, if 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 someone's seen a Jedi lift up an airplane with their hand, like they're going to be like, yeah, this is probably real. God exists. We should probably form a church, you know, so it makes sense to me. It always the kind of there's there's almost in um, at least mainstream Star Wars stuff. Everyone seems very agnostic. There's there's no religion. The only religion ever was Jedi and Sith, you know. Well, could it be the opposite, though, if they know about midichlorians? They can basically explain the supernatural by this symbiotic relationship you have with this microorganism. And that's what I think they know about the midichlorians. Apparently, this is a science fact in the Star Wars (laughs) universe. You can check your M count. (laughs) In the course of this book, they raise child soldiers. Or do they steal them? I think they steal child but soldiers. They like steal them and train them, though, over the course of this book. Right? Yeah, well, it, it looks like it's been going on because they talk about, you know, that's what Nima's up to. Nima works for Rax and they've been stealing all these Yeah, kids. they've been stealing kids for a while. Okay, because it was just like they kept mentioning child soldiers and I was like. Yeah, apparently this has been going on. I guess. Since Rax was a kid. No, it sounded like since Rax was young because the, the old man that he goes back to when he's an adult, remembers him and remembers the kids going missing. So are we saying all stormtroopers are abducted kids? A large chunk of them, I think. 
like after the clones started dying off, they just started kidnapping children. It doesn't seem like it because they kind of, it, it looks like uh Brindle Hawks is the one that is pioneering this new right. <laughs> captured children stormtrooper. Right. So it seems like this is like the emperor. Call it the Batman returns protocol. Yeah. Right. You know, this is one of the many plans Sheev has going on in the background. I think I think it's also that they just show up on these shithole planets and they're like, hey, you want to eat some food? Come with us. Well, yeah. I mean, that's what regular militaries do. <laughs> you know, it's just, hey, are you poor and starving? I think initially they kidnap a bunch of kids. But then once they, once they start taking over worlds and things, then they're like, hey, we just blew up your planet. You got no place else to go. Come on. True. But I mean, the First Order, it seems like they're implying that most of the First Order stormtroopers are abducted children, right? Yeah, Fend is adopted children. Yeah, yeah, well, that's the big thing in Rise of Skywalker. I mean, I do. I like the stuff with Armitage Hux. I thought it was somewhat interesting how they essentially, that he's this like abused poor person. It makes his character a little more interesting to know he has that like trauma in his life. and Yeah, and then Brendel's not, not thought of well, right? Right. And you get a little more of that in Phasma, kind of seeing that. Uh, dynamic. We'll get to that eventually because I do want to talk about that book at some point. I enjoyed seeing the fracturing with more than just Leia because you you throughout this series and and throughout many of the books you see Leia as this kind of rogue loner leading the charge against the ineptitude of the New Republic and it's not just her. She's got allies. She's got the Commodore who gets blown up in the uh, brainwashing attack. She's got Admiral Akbar is always with her. She's got a whole group that's with her. So it's not just, you know, her kind of saying, hey, New Republic, you guys suck. It's a bunch of people going, you know what? Leia's right. They do suck. We do need to freak a chic. We, we do need to go to Jakku and figure out what the hell's going on there. Guys, it's harsh after Kashyyyk, though. They, like, give him medals and then make Wedge yeah. go to a desk job. <laughs> They're like... Punish them all for being heroes. And you're done. There's a certain point in my in my space wizard fantasy where you can... You cannot, like... You can be like, well, that would really happen in the military. Eh, come on. Like, well, this is my space wizard fantasy. Like, they went and did something heroic. I don't, I don't, I don't want to open the next book and be like, oh, and they got punished for it. I think the demilitarization stuff and all the stuff with Mon Mothma and, you know, wanting to go fight, that stuff would have made sense five years later. But when you're still in the middle of the war, it makes no sense whatsoever. Part of the, it's part of the compression problem. Yeah. Why are you even discussing it? That shouldn't even be on the table when we're still fighting. And I know at one point they're talking like the major, I mean, Rax has all the ships at Jakku. They know they're there. Like, this is it. Here's the Empire. And they're all kind of like, well, maybe we'll just, that'll just be where they're going to be. And we'll just call a ceasefire. Like, It'd be cool if they all died suddenly, but I mean, we're not going to do anything about it. I would have liked to hear her express those. Those were her wishes or her intentions, like you said, down the road. You know, right. that like, yes, there's yes. The fact that she's making it public that she wants to demilitarize. Not great. Not great when you're still fighting the war. And 
and you're correct. If this was years later, there is an argument to be made that the Republic never really has had a standing army. Mm-hmm. And that that they've only had them under the Empire, and that they don't need one. And uh, there there are, I love the uh, that idea actually. But you are correct. If this is literally in six months, <laughs> six to nine months after they after the Battle of Endor, the idea that she'd be like, I think it's time to put down our guns. You'd be like, and how much better would what? that make the sequels if yeah. you made the Republic totally functional? We're awesome. Yeah. Luke starts an awesome school, whatever. And then they decide, yeah, we're at peace. You know, we got in trouble last time because we had an army. It's time to let it go. So we give the galaxy peace again. And then they're attacked. And then Snoke and Sheev is like, and go time. <laughs> and then the story becomes that you can tell a different story, which is a story of people defending what they have built. Because how awesome would it be to start like, yeah, a peaceful, successful Republic, your first shot of the sequel, and then all of a sudden a bunch of Star Destroyers come out of. Yeah, or whatever the threat is. I mean, it's yeah. kind of the Vong, it's kind of the Vong philosophy, right? right. It's kind of what they do with the Vong. But like, but yes, just show a peaceful, show, show that they succeeded, show it prosperous, show it thriving, and then they're attacked. And then, and don't have it be, you know, everything's destroyed in the flash of a second. It could be just a threat and we've never seen and to me i guess the idea of them defending what they've built is something we haven't seen in a star wars right and if the original trilogy is about toppling this despot and then you have the sequel the prequel trilogy which is how the despot kind of comes to power and the rise of fascism in a in a government (sighs) current events again and then the sequel trilogy it could have been about these people defending what they've built, you know, the the values that they brought with them and having them challenged. Instead, it's about the despot was right. Like (laughs) your Senate was completely ineffective. You had no order. It turns out that, you know, maybe democracy ain't for us, you know, like it it doesn't. and, And what are we left with at the end of it? Yet another rebellion beating another empire and yet another lone Jedi. Yeah. You know, so it would have been, I just think it would have been a cool opportunity to tell a different story. Like Nora, Nora and Wedge have like hammocks strung up on their X-Wing and, oh God, crap, Empire, quick. <laughs> Something, you know. Some, planters. I, I think you're right though, Ryan. I introduced the idea of the demilitarization of the return to the old ways, basically. Right. right? In, in a decade. When things have settled down because they because what they do end up finding is time of peace. Yeah, there's still crime and there's still problems and they they do end up under a time of peace. And so they demilitarize. They let their guard down. You know, yeah, they're still, you know, and they they basically become the republic, you know, a functioning version of the republic. And then they are hit out of nowhere by a force that they are not ready to handle. And that still gives them a slight kind of underdog feel. While still, again, not to keep harping on it, while still making these sacrifices and uh, exploits and and, and, uh, accomplishments of our original heroes not in vain, you know? Yeah. It's not their fault that someone came to blow it up after they built it. The problem that these this story is telling us is that they just never built, they built it shitty. (laughs) (laughs) They they fail in building it, you know? 
And you can have that big Rise of Skywalker moment when all the ships show up and it's supposed to be, you know, this huge thing, but it would be even more because yeah. they're fighting for something that's worth it, not this. And something that's still there. Right. You know, that's the problem. Fighting over, there's something nihilistic, obviously, but fighting over the cinders of something is not as compelling as fighting, fighting to defend something. They're not defending anything in the sequels. You know, they're not, they're just trying to end the emperor. Yeah, they're fighting against something instead of for something. Right. There's a big difference there. Imagine a world where they're not as scared of the sequel as the, not as scared of the prequels as they were mm-hmm. five years ago. And you meld the two, right? You, you, you take the grittiness and the, whatever that they feel the original trilogy has and some of the characters, but they embrace a little bit of the kind of the glory of the Republic. I mean, all the planets in the sequel trilogy, other than maybe Canto Bight, look just, they're just, you know, hey, let's go out to a desert and shoot. Let's go out to a forest and shoot. As opposed to the worlds that Lucas created in the prequels, which I think are one of the one of the great things about the prequels is all the worlds he created. Mm-hmm. Well, and also that is that is the set of movies where they're fighting for something. And, and they 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 could have found they could have found a somewhere in between the two is all. You know, where, where they were able to have more these bigger, the, the, this beautiful society, but also have the scrappy rebels and stuff. And instead, like we talked about a couple times, it just, you know, uh, episode seven, everything sucks. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the very first line is in, in uh, Force Awakens, isn't it like Luke Skywalker is missing? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and you're like, okay, that sounds like a cool mystery. Oh, no, it's not a mystery. Oh, he no, he's just he gone. to hide. He just left. He went to hide because he's a he's failure. Pouting. Yeah, because because him and him and Han are the two worst fathers of one kid <laughs> in Star Wars, which is saying a lot. I think you're right, though, Beth, about the politics. Like, I think Wendig does a better job with character stuff. Yeah. yeah. Which is why I think, Ryan, you know, we like, you know, Nora and um, Wedge and that stuff and and some of our kind of our lead original characters. Um, I mean, I think Sloan is the biggest thing to come out of these books. Um, I would agree. Well, know, they've used her. Now it's Cobb Vanth. <laughs> well, but see Cobb Vanth now. I mean, these parts don't make any sense <laughs> with the rest of what's going on. Well, and again, like I think I said during the last one, like it, it makes sense to me why he would change the story he told to... Uh, Mando, yeah. I I don't think I'd be telling everybody the story about my hut slug. Whatever we get live, I want to see a hut slug. <laughs> it is true. You you're right, Beth. Actually, I I think the best way to view it is just this is what happened, and then whatever Cobb says on the Mandalorian is just what he tells people. Right. It's or or it's his point of view. Hey, I didn't see it this way. <laughs> it's a perfect way to actually to rectify the two things. Because <laughs> all of it's just taking a character's word for it. I mean. I didn't understand the hut that wasn't a hut. The the snake N- hut? Nima? Yes. Why not just make her something else? With her uh her war boys uh, all painted red and stuff instead of painted silver. <laughs> Witness me. <laughs> why 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 make her a hut? If if she wasn't going to be a hut. Cuz you're on a desert planet and huts control desert planets, I don't know. <laughs> To me, the only reason this character exists is because somebody somewhere wanted to know why Nima Outpost was named Nima Outpost. You are not incorrect. And I personally didn't care. 
To be fair, though, you've read both certain point of view books. So, like, (laughs) if that had been a story in a certain point of view book about how it became Nima Outpost, you'd be fine with it. (laughs) I'd be fine with it if it were a tiny little bit of a story. Yes. In this, however. In this, it's a lot. You're right. I didn't care about the the bug in their droid. Any of this, that subterfuge stuff. I really didn't care. The only thing I liked in the subterfuge was Mon Mothma coming at her opponent the only way Mon Mothma can, and that's by being a little bit sneaky, but not quite illegal. The fruit trick? The fruit trick, yeah. I'm looking forward to her being on Andor because I think they need to uh, juice her up a little. Yeah. Yeah. She's presented kind of magnanimously, you know? She's almost like the Kate Blanchett in um, Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. Like, there's almost this ethereal quality to her. It's like, oh, it's Mon Mothma, like in, when she shows up in Rogue One. But like to me, I'm like, she should be almost the meanest bitch of the bunch. Like she's leading an insurgency. She's leading a rebellion against the Galactic Empire. She better be tough and 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 cutthroat. And so I'm interested to see what kind of how how they portray her on the Andor show. Yeah, I would I, like to see a little more Che Guevara in her, you know? Yeah, I'd like to see him do like a real big like dichotomy where you see her like in front of people being that angel yeah. and then go into Cassie Dindor and be like hey come here for a second cut his throat <laughs> one of the more startling moments to me as a child watching Return of the Jedi was all of a sudden here's this woman who's in charge that I've never seen yeah we'll call it the holdo maneuver but it's <laughs> this woman in charge that I was like who who is this and then who's this lobster and then who's this this dude with the bad bolt cut uh, Maydeen, this Maydeen guy like as a as a seven year old watching that movie, it was actually very jarring because I was like, who are these people to tell Han Solo what to do? Mon Mothma has never really been given a chance outside of, you know, uh, a lot of expanded universe stuff, a lot of old canon had her. But to really make a character out of her, I think Bloodlines does a good job of it. But yeah, you're seeing her at the end of her rope there. I want to see why her. Why is she the one? You know, and there's a little bit of that in Rogue One, but I'd like to see more of like, why her? Well, I think this book gave her just in that one part with the fruit gave her the most personality that I've ever seen in hers because, oh, she can be kind of sneaky. And in there, there's a little of that in Princess of Alderaan, isn't there? I haven't finished that one. Yeah, but that's very early, though. That's I mean, she's in the rebellion then, but Leia is only what, 15 or something. Leia's not even a senator yet in Princess of Alderaan, right? She's like a she's there as like a junior senator. Junior right? senator, yeah. Yeah. Like not in you know, almost like uh she's in she's in model UN. That's exactly what it is. <laughs> she's in model UN. Okay, so somebody tell me, because I don't remember last shot at all, how does Han get Chewie to go back with him in the Falcon for this Scooby Snacks smuggler life? When he's happy at home with Lumpy on his newly freed planet. And apparent, and we assume Mala. Maybe. We hope. I don't think, I'm trying to remember, it's been a while since I've read Last Shot. I don't think he leaves. I think Han talks about going and then goes and talks to him and is like, eh, never mind. And then they don't actually show him. Yeah, I don't, I actually think Last Shot may just be Han and Lando. Yeah, I think they talk about going Chewie and then they talk about We haven't talked a ton about the book in particular because I think 
what we realized talking about the first two was that what we really wanted to talk about was just the entire idea together and just what it all means and, and everything. And that why getting to this book, let us spoil everything and um, talk about the whole, the thing as a whole, which was supposed to be kind of a separate topic, but it's kind of hard to do with these books. Um, they don't stand out as individual novels to me. They stand out as like a clockwork orange ish information dump. Yep. <laughs> it's, it's a holocron. There are good characters at the center, though, um, like Sloane and like Nora to follow um, for the stories. But to me, these are more just like when I first read these, I just read them out of desperation to know what the hell was going on. After seeing Force Awakens, you know, just like right. what 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 is happening? And it tells me a little bit. But I know, Ryan, you really like these books. I do. Um, and like I said, I I really like the characters. I think retro actively i liked them a little less after rise of skywalker just because like we talked about before it didn't you invested a lot into them and you weren't really rewarded yeah they're the skeleton of what happens after return of the jedi and you know these books are kind of supposed to more or less serve the same purpose of heir to the empire did i do not think they're as effective as heir to the empire, as far as showing kind of what happens next, but I don't think they could, um, you know, when, like we talked about earlier being boxed into that one year period before Jakku happens. Yeah. Cause heir, heir to the empire is five years later. Yeah. It's five years after return of the Jedi and the new Republic has had time to become a thing. Mm-hmm. And the way, you know, I, uh, the vignettes, uh, you know, the little intermission things, I like those. I think that there's a lot they could have followed up on that they haven't. And, you know, maybe they will. I don't know. Um, I mean, obviously Cobb Vant, they pulled over. But a lot of stuff with the cults, with, you know, there's these kids rebelling on Coruscant that could make some, for some really interesting books or comics. Yeah, the Ankle Biters Squadron. Or- Please rename them. <laughs> <laughs> Does anybody who's going to write something about them new, please rename them. Yeah, like I said, I I would love to see more about the Church of the Force. I think as much as we have reveled in non-Jedi stuff, like, you know, well, Mandalorian is not non-Jedi anymore, but you know what I mean? Um, The I still the idea of this Church of the Force is uh, I want to know more about this. I want to know more about the wills and things like that. You know, I want to know more about the guardians of the wills. There's the one book that came out that was called guardians of wills, but it was really just a prequel to how cheer it and base, how those guys ended up in Rogue one. But I want, I want to know about, but they haven't gone back to that at all. They haven't gone back to the guardians of the wills and that idea at all. Mm-hmm. This series to me feels like the longest opening crawl <laughs> you could is- ever, ever imagine. That's not far off. It really yeah. isn't. It's because it's so in your face and loud. It's the way it's just everything is just dumped on you. Just like, here's all this information. Please try to retain it all. That's why my summary sucked so bad because it was like 400 pages of summary. You're not, you're not wrong, though. It, it does feel that way outside of its smaller character moments and kind of the core of the heart of the book that is there. It is there. Yeah, I think I also I know I didn't read this as early as you guys either. And I think I'm also slightly jaded by the fact that I've read I read so many more well-written Star Wars books before I got here. 
not into this at all. Give me give me back my Lucino. But you've experienced Mr. Bones now, and that's all that Ryan really cares about. Yeah. <laughs> Something we've been talking about a lot lately is this era and the sequels and everything. And, and with all of the consternation about characters at theme parks and Ahsoka rewriting the future and all these things, I, I just think, I don't know. I, I just think this whole era is a big question mark now. And we just kind of have to deal with that until they do, <laughs> you know, until, until, until they figure out what they're going to do. And quite honestly, Rangers of the New Republic could totally override all this. If they really wanted to, they could do Rangers of the New Republic and show an awesome New Republic. No, they cannot because they've already shown the X-Wing cops. <laughs> Trapper Wolf, who is my favorite new Star Wars character. Um, I think Star Wars Explained interviewed that guy that plays Trapper on their YouTube channel. Uh, but Trapper like, Wolf is John is uh, Filoni, Dave Filoni. Oh, so no, the other guy then. The other guy, is some like British, I can't remember what his name is. The, the guy, the guy who's like, yeah. says here you're from Alderaan. I served during Alderaan. Did you lose anyone? Luckily, we have kind of a new era that we can start concentrating on or at least dip our toe into. An old era. (laughs) An old era. It's true. Yeah. Next week, we will, or on the next episode, we'll be discussing. Two weeks, two weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Sometime. We'll be talking about the first book of the High Republic, Light of the Jedi by Charles Soule, where we get to see an actual functioning Republic who uses Jedi correctly and are shockingly competent heroes it's amazing <laughs> quite competent heroes yeah uh, and i who know what they're doing and how to do their jobs correctly how to save people i'll probably also read the kids book and uh, yeah. check out the comic and we can talk a little bit about that stuff but yeah I'm, I'm excited i hope it's i hope it does well because yeah it'll be a nice fresh little it'll be a nice fresh little corner to play in where Honestly, it'll feel safer from Twitter battles and and, and all this stuff. You know, like I, I can't imagine people getting trolled too much for High Republic stuff online yeah. or people getting too angry about things that happen in there, you know. And, and so it feels like maybe one of the answers to some of the more toxic fandom is just be like, OK, we're just we're just going to be over here. And uh, you guys you guys complain over, you know, complain about you know, people of color in your Star Wars movies, you know, jackasses. All right. Well, thanks everybody for joining and tune in next time when we dip into a new era. Rest in peace, Mr. Bones. Rest in peace. <laughs> you have been listening to a Needless Things podcast. You can follow Needless Things on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and at needlessthingspodcast.com. Love you. Mean it. Uh Uh-huh.